Hello and welcome to A Year with the Beatles, a limited series of podcasts exploring virtually every studio album by the Beatles month by month. My name is Graham Burke. On our third episode, we'll talk about A Hard Day's Night and listen to the Beatles at the forefront of the British invasion. And we'll watch John, Paul, George and Ringo on the silver screen, so stick around. Once again, joining me on this archaeological dig of the Beatles' history in album form is Rob Jones, a music critic and writer of the music blog The Delete Bin. How are you, Rob? Hello. I'm fine. I'm fine. Thank you. And joining us this month is Shanna Dohar, a Beatles fan and frequent contributor to the Doctor Who podcast Reality Bomb. Hi there, Shannon. Hello. Good to be here. So first, the quick recap. Theorizing that I could time travel within my own lifetime, I decided to spend every month in 2016 listening to one of the Beatles' studio albums. Now, myself and Rob and others find ourselves leaping from life to life, striving to put right what what's... No, sorry, that's the Quantum Leap opening. Anyway, we're listening to the Beatles, and I decided to put it in a podcast because I'm vain. So, there you go. Anyway, enough with the frivolity. Let's go to this month's selection, A Hard Day's Night, which was released on the 10th of July, 1964. So let's listen to everything A Hard Day's Night has to offer in two minutes, more or less. It's been a hard day's night And I've been working like a dog It's been a I should have known better with a girl like you That I would love everything If I give my This dance is through, I think I love you too I'm so happy when you dance with me And if you saw my love You'd love her too I love her Well, I beg it on my bended knees If you'll only listen to my pleas Why you diamond ring, my friend Makes you feel alright I'll get you anything My friend If it makes you feel alright Cause I don't care too much For money But money can buy me love If you need somebody to love Just look into my eyes I'll be there To make you feel right If you feel If I could get my way I'll get myself locked up today But I can't so I cry instead Someday when I'm lonely Wishing you weren't so far away Then I will remember Things we said today Come on If you please I got no time for trivialities Okay. 
So, Rob, doing a back-of-the-envelope rough chronology here. Yeah. Okay, so the Beatles did Ed Sullivan in February 1964. Yep. Then they went to the Bahamas to write seven songs for their new film. Mm -hmm. They recorded most of them between January and April. Then they started shooting the film in March 1964, then wrote and recorded six more songs. Then the film came out in July. So I guess my question for you is, how the hell did they do this? Drugs. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. Actually, I don't know. actually, I it, actually. <laughs> well, actually, I think at this point in time, you, you, there's one thing else that happened uh, in 1964, and that is that uh, <clears throat> that Bob Dylan uh, visited them at their hotel, ah. and he brought uh, he brought some gifts with him. You see, and uh, they learned how to smoke marijuana, or at least they smoke marijuana. Uh, so actually, uh, layering that on top of uh, everything that they had to do that year, that's, you know, it's quite an achievement, you know, <laughs> that they managed to get all that stuff done, you know, while they were, you know, discovering pot for the first time. Wow. But what they were also doing, uh, of course, is they were expanding their, uh, their abilities as songwriters. I mean, we discussed this before uh, on the other uh, episodes, but, uh, clearly they had song, amazing songwriting talent, but. There, there's interviews with Paul uh, McCartney, uh, and they ask him, you know, what do you, you know, what, what do you hope to do with the band? And he says, well, we hope to continue songwriting that we're doing as a sideline now, and now we're, you know, we want to get into this, you know, full time and go full bore. So that, in terms of this year, uh, 1964, uh, it's a pivotal year for them in that regard. You know, in in addition to having to to do all that, to tour, to record and all that, make a movie. They were, they really went all in with the songwriting. And that's, that's where, that's where we find the Beatles at this point. Shannon, this is the first Beatles album that relies on Lennon McCartney songs and no covers whatsoever. So how does it work for you? Um, well, this has always been the Beatles album that to me first sounds like the Beatles. Like when I think about their progression, as a band, I mean, obviously there's great stuff on the first two albums, but even when I was a kid, for me, Hard Day's Night was where it felt like it kicked off. So I think it works, ex I mean, obviously it works extremely well as as an album, but it's very cohesive. Uh, it's it's all kind of very clearly of a piece. It's, I mean, it's a masterpiece. It's, it's a masterpiece. <laughs> Rob, where are you at with with the album? I love all the songs, and it's it's probably their most cohesive record to date. This is sort of uh, the the sort of high point of their early career, I would say. This this album, they were heading they were heading this way with the first two, and they kind of arrived here. That that's kind of where I I think of it. Huh, this is really interesting. I, I, this is the this is the one time where I get to be the dissenting of opinion. I'm 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 really kind of feel so alone right now. No. <laughs> <laughs> is it because uh, is it because that this album is more sort of crafted and more uh, in a way that 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 is one thing about this album and that is well, it, it, it is very crafted. And they do kind of tend the, the songs as great as they are, and because they're such a so much of a piece, they kind of blend together. So that might be a bit of your concern. actually no, my my it's, no? it's it's a bit a bit of everything. But uh, for me, I think what it is is that in the, on the first two albums, I kept on saying to Rob, "Are there moments where we see glimmerings of the band that will become the Beatles?" And and I always got told, "No, they're just doing what they're doing." But I always sort of felt there are glimmerings, and so this time I came to this album, and I didn't find that kind of glimmering. What I find is a really tightly polished band that's doing really great stuff 
but they're they're my I guess for me they're being a market leader as opposed to an innovator. All the songs are are great, but I listen to something like Anytime at All, which is a fantastic song. But if I just detune it slightly and make it sound like it's on an AM radio in 1964, it could be played by five different British invasion bands. <laughs> it really mm. doesn't, I don't feel like there's anything that kind of, it feels like they're innovating in any way. It feels like they're just, they're just doing market dominance. And Okay, now I have to kick your butt. Okay, right now. by all <laughs> means, you, do, the, right you do that. I'm going to leave that to well, the I, professional. <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't kick your butt, but I will say this, I, I will say this, that it, that this, I think in some ways I can understand what you're saying because uh, this is an album that sort of made them the Brian Epstein version of the Beatles. You know, they were sort of nice young men in suits and they were, you know, they're creating really well-crafted songs that were really marketable. You know, that's kind of where Epstein was kind of steering them at this point in time. So this is the most Epstein of their albums, I would say, in that respect. But uh, there is so much subtlety going on in the in the actual writing that if you really stop and listen to a lot of the words and a lot of the tones that they're using a lot of there's a lot of contrast in there i'm speaking particularly of uh, lennon's work uh on which he begins to really talk about himself but he's sort of not talking about himself at the same time and we'll get into this later when we start picking tracks but there's a lot of darkness in this album it's 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 really it's a real sort of pop record and everything like that and it's you know smiling beatles and whatever whatever it is but there is a lot of darkness to be found here and, and for me that's one of the reasons why it works so well oh and also also George Harrison's opening chord we got to talk about that at some point right <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I have to talk about that. I do, just jumping off of that, I also feel like this is the moment when we start to get a lot of Paul's vulnerability, and he's opening up in a similar way to what you were saying, Rob, about Mm -hmm. about John's lyrics, kind of both of them, to me, it feels like both of them and their artistic expression are starting to open up to more of of who they are and I would actually say in a lot of ways that that is for John some darkness and for Paul it's a lot of sensitivity so you know it's Mm. a very kind of that's a broad statement to make about their uh, styles but I think that there's something to that and you do really start to see it in Hard Day's Night. Yes. Since you both opened up the lyrical thing, I mean, I mean, I, I'm happy to go talk about that because as much as I do kind of feel it, it's not innovating. I do agree. There are some really great moments of brilliance in the lyric. I love If I Fell mm-hmm. and I love the Things We Said Today, which I yes. think are really wonderfully crafted songs. Yes. I mean, are there other examples of lyrics that you wanted to draw our attention to, Rob? I don't know if I'm going to be stepping on my own toes here in terms of the the part where we begin to talk about some of our favorite deep cuts. I know you love that term, term it's deep true. cuts. It's true. Right? It's true. I do. I'll Cry Instead, mm. I think, is one of my favorite songs on this record because it's a country song about being pissed off as sung by a guy from Liverpool. And I just, I just love all that weirdness in there. I got a chip on my shoulder that's bigger than my feet. I can't talk to people that I meet. And when you really listen to the lyrics, it's really, it's an angry song. It's a really yes. angry song and incredibly vengeful. And yet it's, it's wrapped in this sheen, right? And that's, that's one of the things that I like about this album as a whole. There's a lot of that in here. 
it's a hard day's night. I've been working like a dog, you know, like that. There's a thread that runs right through that, you know, uh, that where I'm really happy and I'm singing jangly music, but inside of myself, you know, there's this turmoil. And uh, I'll Cry Instead is probably my favorite example of that. I mentioned uh, Things We Said Today from Paul. Same same deal. Like the guy was, was 1964, so he was 22 when he wrote that song. And he's singing about, you know, the f- worrying about the future. And will I feel this way when I'm, when I'm older? And it's just really sort of introspective. But sensitivity was mentioned earlier. And I think that was really w- well observed. You know, like there's... They're they're beginning to to get more sophisticated. If we're talking about the, the sort of revolutionary aspect of things, which we've dealt with on other episodes, then then that's certainly the beginnings of that. I would say. Um. Well, not to you know not to jump off of you guys too much, but I actually had written down things I said today, and I'll cry instead <laughs> as the two kind of standouts for me. Yeah. Um, I'll cry instead. I went back and looked up the time signature because I was convinced there was something really wonky going on there. Um, But it's just in 4-4. Yeah. They're all just in, and that blew my mind. Like when I, when I really started to look into the time signatures, everything that I looked at was in 4-4 and I can't really fathom how that's true. Ringo. Ringo. Ringo, like he he puts that on I'll Cry Instead, he puts that sort of country swing on it, right? It's and it, frenetic. It's yeah. Rough, it's, and it really gets to that kind of unsettled core that's yeah. really so close to the surface. Yeah, thanks, Ringo. And that and that pivots nicely to to talking about favorite songs on the album and favorite deep cuts. But and for me, one of them is the one where I really find kind of feel there's there's some level of of interesting innovation happening, and that is actually I'm happy just to dance with you, which is you know if you listen to the lyrics, it's a very kind of anodyne song about you know I, you know it's okay I, I you know I'm just happy just to dance with you, and you know eventually it's it's it ends and I, I'm in love with you. But if you listen to the drumming on it he's it's it's suddenly has this tom tom <laughs> rhythm being done on it i don't need to hug or hold you tight i just want to dance with you all night in this world there's nothing i would rather do because i'm happy just to dance with you that is so primal and Against the the nature of the actual lyric, it's actually subversive. Mm. It actually it actually is saying, "Yeah, you're saying all this stuff, but what you really mean is something different." <laughs> yeah, it's when I was when I was younger, you know, I thought, "Oh, this is a really sort of sweet song about a sweet guy who's just happy to dance with her." But no, as not. as I got older, I thought, oh, "Is he really? Yeah, is he really just happy to dance with her?" And it and there's maybe maybe that's part of it, Graham. Maybe it's that sort of the fact that the music undercuts the lyrics a bit. I really appreciate that, and that's really what's what's coming out of this record for me. That's that's the thread that that's the most meaningful. There's a lot of angst. I mean, I'm looking at the lyrics to I'll Be Back, too. I mean, come like, that's that's some dark oh, yeah. stuff. It is. It's dark. way dark. Yeah. It's way dark. And that's the last track on the album, which I think is yeah. a really interesting decision. Yeah. In some ways, that that is kind of, that always struck me as odd, you know, yeah. that it ends with that. Because it's, you know, it's it, it's a, it's basically a dysfunctional relationship, 
you know. And it's and, a beautiful uh, song, but it's very unsettling. When you yeah, start- it's not. It's not going to be the first or indeed the last uh, song by John Lennon that that sounds great, and then you suddenly feel ooky when you think about it. <laughs> or, or that it sounds like he's singing about somewhat somebody else, but he's actually singing about himself. Like yeah. that's that's going to be a thread that we're going to find throughout the throughout the catalog, I think. Uh, Shannon, what are your favorite songs on, on the album? Um, well, I am, uh, as I as I said to you, I think I'm very much a George girl. Um, so happy just to dance with you, because that is kind of the George representation on the album, <laughs> uh, is a high up, high up there for me. But just when I really have to pick a favorite, it's, it's Things We Said Today. Me, I'm just the lucky kind Love to hear you say that love is love And though we may be blind Love is here to stay And that's enough to make you mine Girl, be the only one And we've kind of, we've talked over that enough But I really, that song just kills me every time I will second things we said today Which I've always loved Because it's got all that sort of minor key kind of stuff then it goes into the you know someday when i'm lonely that's that's the major part and then it goes back it slides back into the into the minor it's beautiful i love that we gotta talk about the opening chord we cannot talk about this album without talking about that that clang it's like hello we're here we've arrived (laughs) That's the, you know, I got a new Rickenbacker chord. <laughs> yeah, that's the, I'm going to start folk rock chord. Yeah. That's what that is, you know. Uh, it's it's attention birds. We're uh, <laughs> we're starting a new movement here. And that's, I, I just love that. I, I love the, uh, uh, I love that opening chord. And it's, it still confounds today, I think, you know. Yeah. Well, since you already mentioned the clang, I mean, the guitar licks by George are really starting to take shape on this album i think just generally are there any favorites we've already talked about the opening chord but but are there any other favorites shannon for you george's chord work on i should have known better actually is really really stands out to me it's not that it's anything as revolutionary as the opening chord honestly it's just that it's so good it's his his skill level is really just snapping in and for me, it's it's the chord backings and I should have known better that just are great for me. I think the guitar work on any time at all is superlative. I mean, mm-hmm. as as much as I say it sounds like any other British Invasion song, it also sounds like any other really good British Invasion song. It is just so good. <laughs> there, there's a version by uh, uh, Nils Lofgren, uh, which is one of my favorite cover versions of, of that particular song. And it turns it into sort of this Springsteen-esque type of arena rock type type thing and it's it's i think that's another thing about the songs on this album and that is that they open themselves up to possibilities for other musicians mm. and maybe that's another aspect of the uh, of the revolutionary side of of what they were doing at this time as far as george harrison goes i want to get back to that some of my favorite guitar work is on uh, and i love her mm. the, the 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 background the spanish guitar which i which i think it could have been a really dated uh part but it's just so subtle with the arpeggios and i just that's one of my standouts and it proves that george was very concerned with melody and counter melody and he he just makes every song better just just by him playing on it yeah and he was breaking out his 12 string for a couple of these right mhm 
which he would leads a lot that leaves with a leaves us with a lot of depth i think it does yeah and as i mentioned i mean it had a it had profound effect in the possibilities of uh, pop music at the time uh Mm -hmm. certainly with the i mentioned the birds earlier but like seriously like that's all all that stuff was uh was just it was just a kickoff to another era in some ways the hard day's night is like the end of of their early early period and the beginning of when they begin to gather peers around them and they begin to exchange ideas so it's a really interesting time for the beatles and for music in general john dominates the album he's writing and singing lead on nine tracks but it doesn't seem like he actually does dominate the album. I, I guess, Rob, my question is, what's the trick in the Beatles' sound as a group? Uh, they're really good singers, you know, and they're really good singers together. I think that's really the, the big thing here. Their voices are supernaturally suited to each other. And I think really that's what it is. Like it, in some ways, it doesn't matter at this point in time. It doesn't matter who's singing lead. It's it's just all of them. It's it's the Beatles singing, and I, I think that's probably what what it why why you're sort of perceiving things that way. That makes a lot of sense to me because it, it does feel like so. I mean, we've used the word cohesive so much, and it does really feel like they're all just linked in together, and they're all on the same on the same wavelength for this album. And it's it is a unified front, much much more so than, you know, some of the stuff we get later on. But it is, it's really unified. Well, I think that's a good place to end off our conversation on A Hard Day's Night, the album. And if you have anything you'd like to say, you can send us an email at beatles at gemgeekorrarebug.com. And I'm sure eventually we'll have a website for all this too. As ever, we're going to have what we call extra credit homework, where we listen or watch some Beatles material that complements the album we're listening to. And this month, we've been watching this. No, actually, we're just good friends. Do you think these haircuts have come to stay? Well, this one has, you know. Stuck on good and proper now. (laughs) Frightfully nice. Uh, What would you call that uh, hairstyle you're wearing? Arthur. No, actually, we're just good friends. You're the brown, aren't they? What do you call that collar? Oh, a collar. Oh, do you often see your father? No, actually, we're just good friends. That's a clip from the 1964 film A Hard Day's Night, which stars the Beatles and was directed by Richard Lester from a script by Alan Owen. Shannon, I understand you've had a special relationship with this film growing up. Oh, I really, really did. Um, this is a movie that I watched every Saturday, from every Saturday morning. I did not watch cartoons. I watched A Hard Day's Night and Help. I wore it the VHS pretty like maybe somewhere around seven I wore out the VHS <laughs> because like honestly when I tell you I watched it every Saturday I watched it at least once every Saturday if my parents weren't out of bed I'd rewound it and I started it again like it was just <laughs> that's, awesome. that's awesome I am literally at the opposite end of the spectrum I have seen this film three times in my life, all of them in my adulthood. Um, because in the 80s, when I when I was of that age, it wasn't in general distribution. Um, so so I, so my experience of the film is, is much more seeing it as a grown-up, which is kind of strange in a way. Rob, where are you on it? I had, did you ever get to see it as a kid? I can't remember. I Yeah, I, I certainly did. Uh, at the time, uh, my, I watched it with my dad uh, the first time. I, I, I guess it was on TV. 
and at that time, he had guitars around the house. And what, one of the things that really stood out for me with that movie is it's shot like a concert film in some ways because there's, there's musical numbers in it. But in terms of the, the actual way that the shots are all set up with lots of close-ups on the instruments and uh, on the performance, <clears throat> it's a very musical film. Not just because it has music in it, but because of the way it's shot. And when I was even when I was a kid, I thought, you know, I want that. Whatever that is, I'm in. <laughs> uh, and, and in some ways, uh, A Hard Day's Night was uh, visually was the thing that sold me on, on the Beatles in general. Just, I think, you know, you hear stories about, you know, um, when the Beatles first came uh, to meet George Martin and Brian Epstein, and they both said it was their charm, it was their personalities, which, you know, which attracted us to them and made us want to work with them. And I think that's true of the, of the audience, too. And I, I think that's really why A Hard Day's Night works so well, because you can see their personalities. What surprised you most while watching the film? I don't remember feeling any feelings of, of surprise, but uh, I suppose w one thing that's kind of stood out for me was that, you know, these guys were sort of kind of like alien creatures or something. But in, but as I sort of began to watch the film a little bit more, I began to understand that the, the situation that these guys are in. Because basically, this movie is about them, or versions of them, and the kind of life that they were living. It's kind of a snapshot of of what it was like to be in Beatlemania, I suppose. So I suppose that if you want to talk about surprise, I suppose the surprise was that that these guys weren't alien creatures at all. They were, you know, they turned out to be just just guys in the middle of this extraordinary set of circumstances. I think for me the biggest surprise is how funny John Lennon is. Like he is such a a gifted comic actor. Uh you know, <laughs> that scene where he's in the bathtub is so damn funny. <laughs> and <laughs> They're all good actors, I thought. You know, like, that's that's the thing. I I, mean, I think Ringo is really the the one that stands out for me, though. Um, just just in terms of of the way that he seemed like a natural on on film. In that, you know, they shot that film of him where it's just you know the music playing and it's just kind of like a montage and he's by the river and whatever it was. And as it turns out, you know, that day he was like super hungover, so he just said, you know what, I can't, I can't do anything else other than walk around, so just film me. But <laughs> but he, he does he does it so well, like it's like you know, like a silent like a silent movie actor sort of thing. You know, he had presence. I mean, I'm probably upstaging Shannon, but I, I, I mean, I, I liked, I love John, and I really, I really lo loved uh, George in it. Actually, I think he's. I mean, he's hilarious. He's always they're they're both hilarious. Yeah, George is George. I have no chill about George Harrison, gentlemen. I can't, I can't critique <laughs> him in any way. Fair enough. I can't do it. The thing that stuck out to me, because as much as I watched this constantly in childhood, I kind of, I mean, as you can imagine, ran myself out on this and help. So I actually hadn't seen it at, in something like easily five years, probably longer as an adult. So when I was rewatching this, the thing that really I completely missed when I was a kid, but that stuck out so much to me this time around was how subversive so much of this movie is. You know, there's that, that is scene true. When George is kind of in what seems like it's a modeling agency and he just kind of shows up and the secretary grabs him and they start talking about how, you know, the they're not due for another fad change for another six months. 
so they're safe and they're planning out what they want the kids to buy. And George right. is just kind of giving them all a hard time and is just being himself and kind of couldn't care less about any of it and is underscoring why there became this real generational break. Like, it's so subversive. It blew my mind as an adult and it went right over my head when I was a kid. And, and I think that can be credited to Alan Owen, the writer who is who was a really uh, heavyweight uh, playwright, because I'm doing uh, this book on uh, Sidney Newman, uh, the man who created Doctor Who, among other things. When he worked for the BBC, he, he got Alan Owen to do a lot of plays on television, and they were always like huge, huge things. And, and he has that kind of ear for totally random, subversive stuff like that. But also the, the sort of ear, ear for the kind of Scouse kind of sort of Liverpudlian idiom. He's a mixer, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I really love both those elements of it. I mean, it was nominated for an Oscar for the screenplay and quite, yeah. quite deservedly so, I think. Um, yeah. Well what's your favorite scene in the film? Uh, for me, it's uh, uh, it's the the scene with John Lennon where he he bumps into uh, a woman in the hallway and she says, "Are you him?" And then it goes off on. I just so love good. that. That's my favorite. It's so good. Yeah, that, that's my favorite because it's it's just total nonsense. And in some ways, that's really respectful of John Lennon's personality. Like you could see, you could tell that maybe you know this is something that that Lennon would have enjoyed. And I I think in some ways uh, Alan Owens. Uh, screenplay is kind of suited. And he he watched them very carefully, uh, and he kind of got a handle on on you know points of their personality. And I think that that scene really captures Lennon's sense of absurdity. And I I just love that scene. Well, since no one's mentioned it, and we played the clip of it, but I, I love the press conference scene. It is so well cut. It, I mean, Richard Lester directs the hell out of it, uh, and, and it's got some great gags between trying to get the sandwiches to to the sort of quick jump cuts of the Beatles doing one liners to to. How did you find America? Yeah. <laughs> what do you call right, that haircut? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Has success changed you? <laughs> 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 it's great and then you know you even have the little thing like the uh the the shooting the pictures of, of george which when they showed the contact strip i mean i, I mean I, I love i love all those bits in some ways uh the you know the heart a hard day's night sort of solidified people's ideas of who that who those guys actually were um you know and it lasted for for you know throughout their career i think you know paul was the sensible one you know kind of holding everything together john was kind of the the joke jokey guy george was the sort of oh are we gonna do this again type stuff the, the slightly grumpy george is slightly grumpy uh and uh and ringo is like the clown you know and they, they're they're just they kind of fit into certain roles and i think a lot of people i think this movie uh kind of shaped people's ideas of who these who these guys actually were because it's it's filmed as such a concert movie in a lot of ways, you do really feel like it doesn't feel terribly scripted. It feels like somebody just turned a camera on them. And it's easy to to lose sight of the fact that it, you know, it's very much scripted and they were not necessarily these caricatures of themselves. But because it has that quality, it really goes to cement what you're saying, Rob. Mm, yeah. That like this this really closes in people's perceptions of of who they are. Mm-hmm. 
It's funny. I remember this scene, the John Lennon documentary Imagine, where where they're showing uh, footage from when John Lennon returned his OBE uh, to, to Buckingham Palace in protest. Mm-hmm. And he was talking to some journalist from one of the dailies in, in Britain. And he's saying, you know, I'm not the guy from A Hard Day's Night. <laughs> you know? This is a, a lot of the stuff that they had to shake off. And certainly one of the reasons, I and mean, we'll get to this, you know, in, in later episodes, of course, but... Um, this is one of the reasons why they they had to break up. You know, they had to they had to escape what had been created around them, and and it kind of as great as this film is, and as much as I love it, it kind of started here. That all all that stuff. And you start, you know, I'm sure you'll discuss this in later episodes too. But you start to see those cracks so clearly in Help. Just thinking about their cinematic through line. Well, this is gonna this is gonna be very very interesting when we get to Help. <laughs> yes, it is. Mm. And that's pretty much all the time we've got. So we'll be back in a little while for the discussion of the Beatles' fourth album from later in 1964, Beatles for Sale. That's next time on A Year with the Beatles. In the meantime, thank you, Rob Jones, and thank you, Shannon Doar. Thank you. I'm Graham Burke. We'll see you next time. <laughs>